Welcome to show 50 of the Talk and Chatter experience, powered by Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson. Thank you to all the Chatter crew that have sat back and listened to me bang on for the last 15 odd months. I hope you've enjoyed the insight to the motorsport industry that our guests have been able to give us. Thanks must also go to Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson. They've supported us since day one and we wouldn't be able to do it without them, so thank you so much. Episode 50 is with Rochelle Splat, the Queen of Speed, the first woman in the world to reach 300 mile an hour in a top fuel drag star. Rochelle comes with a list of achievements in the drag racing industry a quarter mile long. Hope you enjoy the show and uh, once again, thanks for listening. Welcome Rochelle Splat. Thank you. It's an absolute honour to have you here. So thank you so much, obviously, for coming in. And uh, obviously, we've uh, we've set it aside a few times lately, but uh, things have um, been in our path, eh? Oh, no, yeah, a few things have happened, haven't they? Yeah. But um, anyway, we're here now, so it's great. For sure. Who's Rochelle Splat? Wow. Um, that could be a, a long story, but anyway, I'll try and make it brief. Um, so basically, you know, I grew up around racing. I was born into it. My dad was a... A drag racer so I always wanted to be a, a, a racer I always told him I was going to drive his race car right from age five wow. yeah yeah so um, yeah I've just just been sort of born into it and loved it just loved being around cars and uh, um, watched him race helped him you know traveled around the country with him watched him have a very serious accident um, which could have very close taken taken his life uh, we took a few years to sort of step back a little bit and have a bit of a break from racing, but then it sort of didn't sort of, we still had the passion and the love there for racing, so that's when I started after that. So did that, like obviously your dad's Ian Splat, for yes. people that are listening, yeah. um, did that finish his drag racing time at that period? Or? Yes, yeah, it did. yes okay. it yep. did. Yep. Yep. He, um, his car was destroyed. Um, and he never got back into um, a car himself. That was the last time that he was in a race car. Right. Okay. So then um, you started. You you obviously loved cars from the start. Yeah. Yeah. I've always loved cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. Played with Matchbox cars when I was a kid. Um, always hung out at his factory where he built race cars. Yeah. Um, obviously, there were a lot of races that, that hung out there with him, and uh, grew up with all the. You know, the old original races that, um, you know, were my dad's era. So it was a, it was a really good upbringing as far as, um, you know, just what racing brought us. What was what was growing up in a workshop like at that time? Oh, I mean, back then I, I didn't know any different, you know. That was yeah. just my life. That was our life. Uh, so, you know, I just thought it was normal. I was around cars all the time and around he made wheels and... I helped out in the business, and we were just always in a fact, you know, factory with lots of things going on, and fiberglass bodies being made, and you know, welding and everything. That was just so normal to me. I haven't sort of, um, I didn't think anything different of it. Like right. I didn't really sit back and go, oh wow, this is amazing. Like I thought, I knew it was amazing, but I didn't sort of know any different. So um, you know, I just like cars and, and racing and have brought me so much in my life so yeah it's one of those things that people do um, do create like a family from oh probably, yeah you yeah. know there's, there's a racing family becomes you know probably more normal family than anyone else sometimes oh definitely like I always say that even when I post things on social you know about my racing family yep. um, because you do you become family you become so close because you do something together um, as a group that's so um, intense, uh, important, and, you know, it, it 
so much uh, people have got that commitment and you're all on the same page as far as what your job is at that race and leading up to that race and you do just become very close um, and you all rely on each other um, to, to, to make that team work. So you become very, very close with the people that you work with. And, and you ride the highest of highs to the lowest of lows yes. at times too, which, yes. which you know, um, it, it has to bring people closer. Yes, exactly. What yeah. was your first car? Road car. Yeah. Uh, was, my first car was a two-door HQ Monaro. Damn. Which I wish I still had. Yeah, what an investment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my dad um, brought the 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 car. It was like no motor, not painted, like anything like that. And he put it in our shed. I think I was about fifteen or sixteen, probably sixteen. And um, he says, "Go out in the shed and have a look. I've got something for you." And I got, he was on the phone. And I went out there, and there's this two door Monaro sitting there. So he said. That's your first car. We're going to do it up together. So you can just pick whatever you want. We'll do whatever you want. Wow. So, yeah. So we spent a few years doing that and I loved it. And that was... Like, is that your favourite car? I love two-door Monaros, yes. Yeah. yeah probably my favourite. I mean, I do have a couple of favourite cars now, but um, I wish that, yeah, I still kept my very first car. Not just because of, you know... Obviously, they're sought after now, but mm. yeah, I just loved it for the for the whole purpose that of the car that I built it with my dad. It was my first car. Um, yeah, many other reasons. It's one of those things that, like, your first car is always going to bring you memories, but yeah, when you actually build it, yeah, there's something more to it, hey? Yeah, yeah. So, did you did you drag race that car or do anything like that? Not that particular one. No, um, no, no. So. Um, I went through a bit of a stage where I wanted to change cars, so I sold it and I cried for about a month and then tried to get the guy that I sold it to to sell it back to me and he wouldn't. Um, So then I went and bought another Monaro and we did that up as well, Dad and I. Um, It was an aqua colour Monaro, already had like a, a half roll cage in it. And I drove that on the road. It was a pretty awesome car once uh, we finished with that. And um, I decided to go top fuel racing. And I'd never actually been on the racetrack before myself. So, so how, how do you decide just to go? <laughs> well, you, you jump in the fastest cars in the world. Yeah. And yeah. that was your thing. You just, I'm going to do this. Yes, yes. Yeah. So Dad and, uh, Dad and I went out and bought this top fuel car. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, I better actually go, you know, go on the racetrack with a car and do the lights, like stage and, and, and sort of have a go at the lights and just do that before I get in the top fuel car. Yep. So I took the Bonaro up to um, Heathcote yep. um, Raceway in, Mel- in Victoria and, yeah, we just spent the day doing burnouts and staging and running down the track, obviously a lot slower than a top fuel car. For sure. But just, you know, just to get that bit of practice in as far as the the, the lights and staging. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we did a pro tree like, like top fuel and um, just did that. So that was the only time that I'd actually been on the racetrack with a car other than a top fuel dragster. Okay. So, um yeah, so technically I did race it, but it wasn't at a race. It was sort of just a bit of a test and tune day. And um, 
uh, and a bit of practice so pre-top next, fuel. Your next drag car, like your next time, was a top fuel. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the process of, at that time of getting into? Was there a special license requirement, or could you basically just go buy a top fuel car and drive? Back then, you could. Yes. Yes, really? yes, you can't now, yep. but back then uh, no one had done it before. So there was no rules in place. Yeah, I guess no one had really thought that someone would do that, so there was no rules. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's quite extreme. <laughs> yeah, so um, I got the top fuel car. Yep. Um, Romeo Capitanio mentored me, mm-hmm. went through all the driving procedure, um, how to think, what to do, basically just went over and over and over things, get strapped in, sit, got sat in the car for a long time to get used to that feeling of being, you know, strapped in and not being able to move. So we went through all that um, before I got onto the racetrack and then what we then we just basically went through the licence processing. So um, we I think we did a day where we just practised on our own yep. b- before we licensed and then we thought, yeah, okay, we'll go back to – because we did that at Heathcote as well. And we went back and uh, went for a, started doing the the license um, uh, runs. We had to do like a launch and a and a quarter track, half track. Yep. Um, you had to do it at two separate events. So uh, I did, I got my license the first part of it at the first time when I went, and then the second part it took me two goes. Uh, okay. We went to Sydney to Eastern Creek and yep. finished it off there. So, yeah, basically I just jumped in a top fuel car and, um, you know, I've been around the track for a long time and been around cars for most of my life. So, mm. you know, that helped, um, obviously, just knowing the cars. And um, so I basically just had to learn what to do inside, you know, just how you drive them. The and process, I guess. The so. process, yep. yeah. Yep. So um, after that, there was rules brought in that that couldn't be done again. Yeah. And people had to work their way up. You set a precedence. Yeah. Because <laughs> I often, like, I obviously got to see you at the Winter Nationals and stuff and I often think it, like, um, uh, the fastest I've been is on a bike. It was 10.6 and I'm like, that's fast, but I can't fathom how to get eight seconds, six, like, mm. is there a way just to go those increments faster or like yourself, you've just jumped into a car that can do... What were they doing at that time? Five? Fives. Um, yeah, so once I got my licence, I actually had the, the set the record at Calder Park at 5.26 seconds. So you jumped into a, from a HQ Monaro into a car that does five seconds in 400 metres. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to fathom. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> definitely the, that first time that you take off, really you kind of think you were there one minute, how did I get here? You know, it's it's your brain doesn't catch up straight away. Yeah. Uh, the more you do it, your body slows it down. It kind of like, uh, obviously I don't know how it does it, but you just, it gets slowed down. Wow. You can actually, you know, think a little, you know, have a bit of time to think and, and um, you know, in a whole run, which is only sort of just under four seconds, you can actually think about a fair bit of what's going on with the car, assess how it feels, how it sounds, if it's moving too much, what, you know, your job, what you've got to do. So, um it does sort of slow down as far as how you per- you perceive it yep. in the car. Yeah, I, I just yeah, it's it's it just seems overwhelming. Like when you don't do it, um, you know, I'm happy to go ride a track bike at 300 k's an hour on a racetrack, but to to see you go that fast in that time is just I just don't know how. You, and you see that I've watched the process online and the yeah. videos and that. There's so much happens. It's not like you're just pointing it and 
it happens. Yeah, because it's, I mean, you, you, you're, t- you're taking off and then you've got to basically prepare to um, stop the car, yep. you know, within three, you know, four seconds. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, I guess that's, you know, that's why they've brought in the rules of people having to work their way up, mm. you know, just so you, you get used to that speed. Yep. And um, you will have, you know, obviously if you work your way up and you're used to it gradually, if something does happen, you know, you can judge and assess the situation sort of more successfully if you're used to that speed rather than just jumping in and doing it. And um, reacting. And mm. reacting, yeah. 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 So, you know, there's, yeah, it's definitely, it definitely needed to be brought in that rule. Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, probably the reason that I was able to was because I'd been around cars for so long and... I do really feel comfortable in race cars. I, you know, it's kind of in my, it's in my genes. Like I just feel like it's, I'm just so natural and I feel so comfortable in a car, probably more so than doing anything else. Um, so, you know, I was, everything turned out okay, but, you know, might not for some people yeah. that are kind of maybe haven't been as lucky as me to be around and learnt so much out of the car. And, they, you know, so it's it's a good it's good that it was brought in and um, it makes, you know, everything, obviously safety has to come first with everything. Yep. We don't want people hurt or anyone else hurt. So, yeah. And it is like it was part of your DNA. Like yeah. Like you, you, it, it was everything that was around you, I guess, and not everyone is is like that. You know, some people have um, opportunity to do it but it doesn't mean they should do it, I yeah. guess, you know. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to say it probably lazy. Is it Calder Park or Calder Park? Colder. Colder. Mm. I knew I was going to say it wrong either way. <laughs> but a, lot like? of pe- a lot of people say us Victorians say things different though. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I've always called it colder and that's how I've heard everybody else call it. Yeah, because I've always called it colder. Yeah. And, um, but I know I know it's wrong or might be wrong because I hear a lot of people from Victoria calling it how you said it. Colder. So, colder, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it like then? Because that, that place was, there was so much happening. You obviously set the world on fire when you're going past at that time. What was it like at that time? Oh, the nineties. Um, yeah, it was. It was such an amazing time of of, of drag racing. Like it, it was the crowds and just the you know the cars and like it was huge. Like I can remember being racing at Calder at the Australian National Championships and all the way around you from one side, all around the back of the track, all to the other side. You couldn't even see grass or seats or anything. There was just so many people. It was oh. an amazing time. Um, lots of sponsors and companies wanting to be involved with people, you know, which obviously gave a lot of people opportunity to race. Um, good t- it was such good times, you know, and it was um, really the 90s were a good year for me as well, really successful and um, I guess, you know, a lot of new things happening, um, you know, a lot of sort of avenues that I sort of, went into and I went to America and I went to Japan and, um, yeah, it was a lot of doors open for me in the 90s yeah. uh, because of how big racing was. So, yeah, it was a good time back then. To do the America and Japan thing, did that seem seem possible when you first got into it? Like, that's such a I, huge thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously I followed races in America. Yep. Um, I watched them race before I got into the Top Fuel car. Yep. Just watched runs over and over again just to become familiar with what they do. Um, staging routines, all things like that, and um, never thought that I'd be racing over there with them. Like it wasn't in my 
train of thought. Yeah. I guess I was just sort of trying to do what I was doing here and that was um, getting my licence and trying to get into top fuel racing here where, you know, a lot of people weren't used to women being involved or coming in racing top fuel. Yeah. So there was a few doors that I had to break down and a few barriers in Australia. So I wasn't even thinking about America. Um, and when I won the Australian National um, Championships in my first year of racing, which was 1993, uh, I got a phone call from the US saying, we want you to drive our car. Can you come over? So it was, uh, yeah, kind of unbelievable really how it all happened. And, and I just went with it. Like I just didn't know if it was going to happen, but I jumped on a plane and went to America yep. and just, you know, went through the processes and and uh, enjoyed every minute of it. And if I got to race there, I did. If not, I was going to come home and race. But, yeah, ended up um, getting a big sponsor over there, which was Luxor uh, Casino. That's like the coolest sponsor. Yeah. Like to be sponsored by the Luxor in Las Vegas, that's pretty yeah. unheard of now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was a good look. Like I said, the 90s was an amazing time for racing. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about it. I just, you know, like I said, I just was doing my thing and enjoying the racing and just going along and just things, you know, just opportunities came my way. Um, and I never say no to opportunities. I always sort of head towards them and see what happens. That's the way it works, so hey. Yeah. The, every time you say no to something, you miss out on yes. endless. But if you say yes, it could go anywhere. Hey? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What 93 winning that championship, like first year, that must have probably ruffled a few, um, ruffled a few feathers. Uh, it did, I think. Because <laughs> it's big. Like it's yeah, a, yeah. Yeah. Like um, it was hard for me to break in a top fuel um, just because being a woman yep. and there wasn't many women uh, racing back then. And also because I jumped in a top fuel car for the very first time, like that was my first race car. So that was a big shock for everybody as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there was a few people waiting just in the background to see what was going to happen, whether it was going to be a big fail or or see how it was going to go. And um, so I think to come to the, to the Nationals and obviously take home the track record, and win the nationals um, was not not really something that I was planning. It was I was just happy to be there, like happy to be in the car, racing, uh, learning, enjoying it, and it just kind of the, the weekend just went you know perfectly and end up you know coming home Australian champion. Uh, I think I'd had my license like a month or something like that. So, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, and the, and the crowd at, th at that time at the track was, was crazy. And just the whole response of when I won and it's, uh, probably, you know, really, really standout event for me, I guess. Yeah. What is it with, um, oil companies? Like oil companies have been so heavily involved and we won't name any names because you're tied up with other ones now, but why do they sponsor it so heavily? I mean, I'm not sure, you know, that what their personal, you know, what they've actually set it as a business, but I guess it just fits in really well with, you know, what we do. It's been great to and see. And the people some. and the, you know, the, the, the people they're trying to target. Um, yep. Yeah, I guess it just, it's just a good fit with our sport. And some of the liveries along the time and stuff as well, just been awesome. Like, yeah. um, obviously, 
Uh, Winfield one's iconic, obviously, still to this day. But yeah. obviously, uh, what you were running in the nineties and that was pretty cool, pretty damn cool too. Like, yeah, yeah, um, had some great looking cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just, uh, uh, and and same with now. Like, um, yeah, they the the oil companies do put good liveries together. It seems. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's supercars or whatever. It just seems like they're always. I don't know. It's marketed so well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for example, my car with Gulf Western Oil on it. Yep. Um, like. The livery is just amazing. Like it just really stands out in photos on the track. Yeah. Um, the colours, you know, the way they've designed it. Uh, it's yeah, I think it's a fantastic sort of um, design that they've done. And you just look at everything that they do, um, yeah. just as far as promoting the business, just on all the advertising. The, the their logo is just really stands out on everything. Definitely. Yeah. And it's good. Like they're not the. Um the huge player around uh, international market, I guess you'd say, compared, but you see them pop up at every motorsport event supporting yeah. it and that's what you want out of brands. Yes. You know, you want to be able to have those brands involved. Yeah, they definitely they definitely show a lot of support across the board with a lot of motorsports yep. in Australia. Yeah, it's been fantastic. So tell me about Luxor. How did how did you get sponsored by Luxor? Oh, um, it was a while ago now, but the... Yeah. the we actually, the owner of the race car, one of his friends knew the owner of the Luxor who owned Circus Circus and um, Excalibur. Damn. Uh, so they used to do offshore boat racing. Yeah. Um, and the, the owner of the, those casinos loved offshore boat racing. Something happened and he decided that he wanted to change and do something different and... Um, decided to come into drag racing. So we were just lucky to have someone in sort of in there that knew the owner and was a you communicated back and forth with him for yep. us. Uh, so that was that was why we got it. That's why we got the sponsorship. Wow. Um, and he 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 actually had a mobile a bus like a mobile home thing that you used to send around to every race uh, that was just basically for me and the owner of the team. Uh, to go into and just get away. They had all of our food. Like we used to put in our orders for food and they'd have everything there ready, like everything yeah. we liked, all that, every drink that we liked. Um, so we really got looked after um, through that sponsorship deal and um, fantastic and met, obviously met lots of people, yep. lots of good friends that I'm still friends with today. And, uh, yeah, just an experience that I'll never forget. I'll never forget my year in the US. It was amazing. Obviously, uh, joined the 300 mile an hour club. Yes, that's pretty impressive because that's that's something that's on a piece of history forever, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is, and that was another thing that I wasn't. My, it wasn't my goal either. Yep. Like I didn't like that particular event. I didn't get go there or get in the car and think I want to do this. Mm -hmm. I always just uh, I always want to do my job really well. Like I'm pretty hard on myself, and I'm always like you know, don't want to make mistakes and I want to do really well and I, I just, you know, want to do my part for the team. Yeah. As far, you know, the team works so hard on getting the car ready, obviously, and I, you know, I want to get in and do my job really well to just, you know, so it finishes off the the, the run, you know, good and, and I'm not letting anyone down. So I've kind of like put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, so I wasn't thinking you know, I want to do that because I, I just focus on my job and that's it. And that's just getting the car down the racetrack as fast as I can and, you know, keep everything together and um, 
So this particular event, there was uh, two spots left for the Slick 50 300 mile an hour club. Yeah. And we were qualifying and we were just all strapped in in the staging lanes. Back then there's like 20 or over 20 top fuel cars. So uh, Tommy Johnson, who was a little bit further in ahead of me in the line, he goes down the track and runs uh, the, takes the number 15 spot. So I'm just, you know, strapped in, just doing my job and go down the racetrack, finish my run and, and a ra- another racer down the bottom says, do you know what you just did? And I went, no. <laughs> he goes, oh, okay, I'm not going to tell you. You'll wait, you'll see. So then that's when my team are coming down. Everyone's like clapping, cheering, you know, um, cameras, everything, and I'd run 300. So I'd actually taken the 16th spot, first woman in the world to run 300, um, only not American as well. So it was kind of all these things that I'd just Huge. done first. And uh, so that was a really, really big deal um, to, to do. Like it kind of set me, you know, it kind of made my place in, in America. You yeah. know, I, I was new over there. I was only like my second year of racing. Uh, very like you're very young, early twenties, and yeah, kind of like just, you know, I felt like I kind of they accepted me and I b- belonged. Yeah. Not you know, it was just one run, but it actually have, has done so much for my career. That particular um, one. That particular run. Wow. Yes. What what's a was that a good car? Oh yeah, it was a brand new car. That car. Really? Yeah, yep. it was brand new. Like, no one had driven it before before me. What was this? What was there much difference between an Australian car and an American car at that time? Uh, not really, no, because sure. the Australians basically just buy the US cars, bring them here, and bring them here. Yep. So we just have like you know secondhand cars, older cars. Like over there, they'll you know retire their one of their cars and they'll replace it with a brand new one. So that's when that will come to Australia. Right. So same cars, just we just not don't necessarily buy them brand new. What makes it what makes one a good car? Like it's obviously feel. But um, you've obviously probably had a bad car and a good car. What makes what makes uh, it bad? I mean I've had all my cars have been fairly, you know, they've been good, good cars. Like I, I like yep. have liked them all. Um to me, I think what makes a good car is the people that you have around you. You know team. the team. Yeah. Yeah. The team. Like that's what makes a good car. Just the, the the team that are, you know, keeping an eye on it, making sure it's safe, doing, you know, the, the little safety upgrades we need to do as things change in the US and new rules come in, um, just making everything as safe as possible. And I guess just, you know, we check the car like after every run just for cracks and, and different things like that. Like through the through the frame? Yeah. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Yep. Because there's so much uh, work, you know, they work so hard each run. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, I think you can have a brand new car, best of everything, but if you don't have the right team and the right people working on it, it's not going to do anything for you. Makes sense. It's, yeah, it's, it's the team totally. Obviously, it's good to have a nice car. Yeah. You know, like you can probably say that there's some cars that may not be as safe as other cars just because of... Maybe the age, or maybe you know they just need a bit of work or a bit of upgrades in safety. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely the team. How safety changed? Oh, safety cha- has changed a lot. Really? Uh, yes. Like we used to get in the car when I started, and uh, like you know I could sort of 
we were strapped in tight, but we didn't have moulded seats. You could sort of move around in the slide around in the car. Like sometimes my seat would be, you know, a lot more w- wider than me, even though I'd have the belts, the seat would be wider. Wow. Um, we just used like a foam, like a neck brace. Uh, yeah, just just kind of little, you know, little things that back then you thought you were doing and you were keeping yourself safe. But now we've got obviously the hands device, moulded seats, um, all the belts are upgraded, um, surrounds around our roll cage that to stop anything flying, like if the engine explodes, anything flying through the roll cage and being hit, which I have been hit before by part of the engine, I hit my helmet and I've suffered a bit of memory loss for a couple of days. Um, what, what happened there? Did I had an explosion, yeah. uh, engine explosion at Calder Park and... Like everything was fine. Like I, I, you know, the guys come down, got me out. We took, we obviously our, our event was over. We packed the car up, went home. And then I started like experiencing these little moments where I, I was, thought I was somewhere else, but, you know, wow. I, I was, I kind of like was in another room and I'm like, how did I get here or, you know, what happened? Or one day, I think one one time I was on the phone, yep. forgot I was on the phone, just put it down and I actually just must have walked into another room just having these really weird episodes. So then I called um, someone that was with my car and I said, can you go and see if, look at my helmet and see, if, tell me if there's a mark on it. When I got my helmet, there was like a chip out of it. So I'd been hit in the head by something. Uh Went to hospital, had a scan. I had some like, bruising on my brain from that. So um, so now we have surrounds like right around our roll yep. cage so nothing can go, can go through. Uh, we have a lot of safety systems, which we never had before. Um, um, basically, you know, we were just in the car on our own with no shut-off systems or anything like that in case something happened. But now like if we go through the finish line and we're – the chutes haven't been been pulled. Um, our chutes automatically get pulled for us. Like it, the whole system pulls the chutes, shuts the car down, shuts wow. the fuel down. Um, so if you if you um, black out or something, something yeah, happens, if like a medical, something's happened, yeah, yeah, a medical issue. If you're unconscious for some yeah. reason, so even they, if you had an accident, like even if you've had an accident and you're going through the finish line on the side or yep. upside down. They'll deploy. They'll deploy. Yep. Yeah, it's we've got to have this the little box in our car and there's a there's a trigger at the finish line and it, it sets it off. Um, you know, we have lots of safety systems like that we have like if the wind comes off or something it pulls our parachutes. Um, yeah, a whole lot of different so things much. that if something happens to us and we're not in control and the car can sort of pick it up and and, and it's all designed to stop the car as quick as it yep. can. So then the um, medical responders can be there. And yeah. Yep. Uh, so we didn't have any of that. Ah. You know, we just got in this, got in the race car, you know, m- could move around in the seat, just had this like foam thing around our neck. Sometimes I used to have a chin, a chin strap. Sometimes I didn't, you know. Um, so what would the chin strap do? Like keep your head in a, in a keeps place? Keeps your head down away from the roll cage so yeah. you don't like hit, hit your head back. Um yep. So your vision's good. Keep your head off the roll cage so your vision stays clear and not sort of um, blurry. Because uh, when, when you do – like I actually take off from the start line with my chin strap really tight so I'm looking down and I'm, my eyes are just looking up. Yep. But then obviously once you take off, the the G-forces push you back and then you're looking straight down the track. 
So yeah, I always pull my head down sort of as far as I can to be able to see the staging lights. Yep. Um, just so I'm not going to touch the anything. We've got the hands device now to help us as well. So yeah, there's a lot of safety has changed in a big way over the years and it's obviously only sort of happened unfortunately from people getting hurt different ways and then yeah. uh, things are designed to stop you know, that from happening again and, um, yeah. I guess it's it's um, until you test something you can't learn from sad, you know, it's a yeah. sad way but that's how yeah. things are tested, aren't mm. they? So yeah. Have you had any like um, teeth rattling or anything like that ever? I – when you get tire shake in the cars, yeah. it's pretty bad. Like it is really intense. Um, you just can't see. Sometimes you just don't even know where you are for a second. It's pretty yep. intense. Uh, so I had a really big tie shake uh, at Perth it was and um, it actually dislocated my jaw and the the little pad thing that's between your jaw and, and the bone, like in between the bones, um, it came out. So I had like issues with that for a long time until I found the right person, which I had to go and see dentists and doctors and all sorts of people to try and work out what it was. Um, so they realised they I finally found a doctor that knew exactly what the problem was, and so I had an operation, yep. just keyhole surgery, and they just like put a little um, fake disc in there, like yep. to, to in between the two bones, so you know does so the bo- the two bones aren't rubbing against each other, and um, yeah, so I've had that happen through tie shake. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, but, yeah, thankfully that's the only thing that I've had yep. um, had happened. So, um, yeah, been, been very lucky in a race car. When it's all going good, is there anything that feels as good? Like say is there, you've done um, the salt racing stuff, you've done a rocket car. Is yeah. there anything that compares to a top fueler? Um. I'd probably have to say no. Uh, yeah, like it's the, the feeling that you get, like when the car's running well, um, yeah, the, the the feeling's amazing just as a team, as an individual, you know, just the whole thing. It's just an amazing feeling, the adrenaline, um, the amount of work that goes into it, you know, it's just yeah. sort of like all and it all comes together. It's just like so worth it. Um, but then on the other hand, when things go wrong, like, Thing, you know, or even if you make a mistake yep. and you, you let the team down, you can, you know, I've had some really, really low times as well where I've really regretted something of, you know, a decision I've made or, um, you know, sort of been obviously disappointed in an event. So it's kind of really, really highs, but then also low, really lows when yep. things aren't going right as well because you put so much effort and emphasis into the into the into the weekend or the event um so but you know it's all good it's like I'll, obviously you've got to have both yeah yeah you have to have both and as far as the land the land speed car oh, i've just I've only been land speed racing once yep. uh so i'm very new to it and i had to license so i had to go through all the different stages of licensing yep uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to the point where I was open and I could go as fast as I could. Uh, so we uh, ran at two, two or eight mile an hour yep. um, on the salt. The cars, the car can go much faster than that. So next time we go out, which is in February next year, uh, we can go. You know, I can get in and go as fast as I can in it. Um, so that's going to be amazing. But 
that was that was a fantastic. Like I did, I did not realize that I was going to love land speed racing so much. I was going to ask you that. Did you like? So you genuinely enjoy it? Oh, love it! I so love it. What's enjoy? Like obviously, it's a um, it's a long term thing. Like you don't go just go there for an hour. Like you're yeah. Like, people are there for a couple of weeks, really. Aren't yeah, they? yeah. We got there on the Friday, right. I think it was, and we left the Friday after, and no power. Because it's remote, hey? It's remote. Yeah. It's like four hours on this dirt road, this, yeah, really bad dirt road. And But when you actually just come over a hill and you see the the white salt lake, it's just oh, it's amazing. It's just the most yeah. beautiful thing I've ever seen. So, yeah, we camped, no power, no phone. For a whole week. For a whole week. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, yeah, we just... And you go on the on the lake. We set up on the weekend. You know, got yeah. the car ready on the Saturday and Sunday. Set everything up, and then ra- we, you race for five days. Um, unfortunately, last when we went, the uh, event got cut short because of rain. Yep. It rained, but we got a lot of racing in before that uh, between myself and Gemma. So I drive with a girl, Gemma. Yep. I've actually got our t-shirt on today. Yeah, yeah, Gemma Dunn. Yeah, Gemma Dunn. And um, so yeah, we. Uh, you know, we get along like sisters, Gemma and I. So it's and in our family, like it's just that that's another racing family that I have. Like I'm wow. just part of their family, and um, beautiful people. So yeah, it's like the whole experience. Like you know, being with everybody, camping. Um, you get to go out the, the the track. You know, as much as you can get the car to go out there. Well, so you get plenty of time. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, uh. and. Um, and as far as driving the car, what I loved about it was you really had time to take it all in. Like you're not just, you know, four sec- three and a half, four seconds and it's over, even though that's pretty extreme three and a half, four seconds and, I, and that's, you know, my love, yep. um, top fuel. In the, in the land speed car we could, you just get to, you know, it's a manual, so you get to go through the gears and you get to, you know, just go fast for a long time. Like I went at, uh, I was at 200 mile an hour for two and a half miles. Uh, it's a long way. Yeah, yes, it is yeah. a long way. You don't yeah. realise how, like when you can actually see the whole track. Four Ks, bit over four Ks. Yeah, so 200 mile an hour and just, yeah, just holding a car at that speed for that long and you get sort of bumped around with the wind and, because you're going so far, the, the weather can change from the start to the end. You can have yeah, no, no wind at the start, wind at the end or wind in the middle. Like it, it's kind of you're going through different stages. So you just you got to deal with all that. Um, yeah, it's just. So this is this is a, like not a new thing, but this is something you could you could continue to do. Oh, yes, yeah. de- definitely, definitely. Like um, we're definitely going next year and I'm sort of. I'm there as long as they uh, want me in the team and want me to drive. Yep. Yeah, I love it. Love it. It's such a such a great week um, to, just to get away in the Speed middle of nowhere. Week, yes, Speed, Speed Week. Speed yeah. Week. Yeah. yeah. Is so now? You, have you got like an unlimited license, or is there something like that? Or so when I go back, yep. um, I I'm on a 200 license at the moment. 200 mile an hour. 200 mile yep. an hour. So when I go back, if I go over 250 mile an hour, I will my license will be upgraded to, to 250 license yep. and then I'm pretty much open. I can go as fast as I want. So 
basically our plan is when we go back to the lake is to obviously get the car to 250 and more if, it, if we can get it to. So, and it depends on conditions as well. You know, like you just got to have the right conditions out there. Obviously the salt's got to be right, the wind, yep. um, you know, you'd sort of, you're dealing with the weather as well with the salt lake, salt lake racing. So yeah. you got to, you know, make sure everything's right. And um, yeah, we'll just really push it and see how far this, how fast the car can go. What's it like when you get like, um, sort of like you said about cresting a hill, like, is it just heaps of people? Like, is it, is it busy? Like what's it? On the lake? Yeah. 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 It's a lot of people. Yeah. Like There's... a, fun, like a full city that just sets up for that week? Oh, uh, no, not not really like that. It's um like there's we have the pits like yep. you would hear it at the um, drag racing. Yep. So everyone sets up the same way and they work on their car the same way as what we would hear and all sort of line up and head out and um, basically, yeah, pretty much the same except, you know, you can go out whenever you want. You just have to get in line. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you haven't got set times where you only let out. Uh, so and that all depends on wind as well, because mm-hmm. you know the motorbikes can't go out if the wind is you know a certain strength and stuff like that. So, um, but you have to be off the lake by sunset, yep. and you're not allowed back on the lake until sunrise. Right. So no one is allowed to stay on the lake. Okay. Uh, you have to camp off the edge. So, yep. so it's. You know, it's a lot of people, a lot of races there, uh, a lot of teams, uh, sort of not really entertainment or anything like that stuff going on. Yep. Um, but a lot of spectators do get there. I was surprised. Like we yeah. had a lot of spectators. I want to go. You watch, oh, it's it's fantastic. Yep. It's just um, everyone I speak to that says I'm just saying you have to go. Mm. You just have to go to experience it. Um, yeah, cool. cool. I'm not a camper. I'm not someone that camps and I like to have a hotel and electricity and all that sort of thing. Um, but I had the best week. It was just amazing and just to get away from everything and just race yep. and just be with your team and um, it was, yeah, and a fantastic week and a beautiful place to race at too. How'd you go with no phone? <laughs> I was stressing about that yeah. a lot before we went. Not so much because I had to live without my phone but... I had no contact with the kids. That's right, you got kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So we we got a satellite phone to yep. use between us. So we just like text, you know, I would text each day with yep. the phone to, to one of my kids, is everything good? And as long as I heard back from them, everything was good. Keeps everything calm. Yes, yep. um, okay, till the next day. So I would, I would do that in the morning and at night just to sort of so I felt okay that, yep. you know, I wasn't with them. There's not um, many times in life now that you're away from uh, I know. a contact for yeah. a week. You know? I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like I had to do that just for my own peace of mind out there. Yep. And uh, so that, that was good. Um, but I did get used to not carrying my phone around. Yeah, that'd be the, good. The first couple of days I would have my phone because I was taking photos. So yep. I wanted to take photos and videos. And I'd find myself like going on there and going to like check my emails, like just click my emails. I'm like, oh, that's right. I can't do it. You know, <laughs> like you just completely forget. And then probably after the second day, I was not even getting the phone out of my bag. Like I would just be like, oh, I haven't even got my phone out today. Just yeah. got used to not having it in my hand all the time. That'd be quite and nice. It was. Yeah. yeah it was. It, 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 you know, uh, like, you know, when you go to the States. 
and you go there just just for a few days, but you adapt to to that. Like I, one of the times I came back was, um, like we drive on the what are we on left hand side of the road all the time here, right? But one of the times, like, or a couple of times, I come back. Getting back into the habit of driving here mm. um, was harder. Like that's what I always have known. But I think trying to get back in a routine after a place like that would be a bit different too. It was. Yeah. It was definitely. You, you go through – I did and I know a couple of the other people on the team did. You go through like a, a, a few weeks of like coming back to reality mm. and kind of not dealing with it that well. Yep. You know, it's like it's kind of this overload of everything – you know, you you, you you go away and you're sort of in that zone. Then while you're away, you really just, everything just leaves and you sort of like enjoy the moment and you do forget about all the other things going on in that's, you know, that's always going around in your mind. Yep. And when you come back, it's like a complete overload. Like everything comes back instantly and it is hard. Like it, I really struggled for a few weeks. I can imagine. Yeah. And yeah. I wasn't the only one. Like I'd speak to other people on the team and they go, yeah, we go through that all the time. And you get that sort of mateship. You're, you're in each other's pockets for five yes. total days and it's... Yes. And know, all of a sudden everyone's flies. gone. Yep. You know, and you're not talking to anybody and you haven't sort of got everyone, the whole team there mm. with you and you're sort of back to having to just, you know, deal with all this normal life stuff. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's it doesn't sound like you know, a lot, but it just even just, you know, two weeks were away, two yep. weeks, like obviously travelling on the road, um, racing and back again, it was a total of two weeks. And it's hard enough just a weekend of racing. When you leave a race weekend, you, you get that, you know, they always say that post-race weekend yes, blues and stuff. it does. I can only imagine it being locked away yeah. for that time, you know. Yeah, it definitely, even after a weekend it happens. Yep. Definitely. But it's like a couple of days and you you sort of back in the swing of like normal things and yep. you sort of come down a little bit from that high that you're on and you're, you're back to normal. But, yeah, it took, me, it took us a little while after being at the, at the lake. I can imagine. So what, how, how did Japan come around? So Japan, um, that was an international event organised by NHRA. Right. And, so they yeah, sent Americans there. America, Germany, yep. Sweden, Australia, New Zealand and there was a Jap uh, two Japanese um, top fuel cars. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they just called me up and asked if I was interested in going over as the Australian representative. And so that was my first year back after the US. So you did 93, the title here? Yep. 94 US? US. And then back 95, here. back yep. here. And that was the uh, 1995 was when I went to Japan. Yep. So we went over there and um, it was a hard track to get down, like definitely not like a, a normal track you would see. We had to sort of back the car right down yeah. to got, get it to take the power out of it as much as we could. And uh, it was at the base of Mount Fuji. Right. So it was, um, yeah, a bit of a drive to get out there as well. Beautiful racetrack though. And, um, yeah, we won the event. Yeah. So that was, that was a pretty big deal over there, like for a woman to come over to Japan and win that type of an event. Massive. Yeah. So um, for women, it was a big deal. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, pretty amazing, like in, getting to experience that and we obviously did some sightseeing while we were over there and looked around. Did you ship your, ship your car from here? Yes. Yeah. Went over in a container. Yep. 
yeah. What do they do for that? Do they dis- disassemble parts of it or? Does no, it, no, no, no. We just yeah, we just put the car in and obviously put all of our our tools and toolboxes yep. and everything, fuel and everything that we need in the container as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the guys did it and a lot of packing and straps and to keep everything oh, secure yeah. and 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 that. But yeah, everything everything turned up in one piece over there and we got to win the event. So what happens logistically? Did you have a truck over there? Obviously the organiser probably put together some sort of parcel. They organised everything. Yeah, Yeah, cool. yeah. basically um, it was like here are your tickets, this is where you're all staying. Um, all of the races from and the teams from all around the world stayed in the one place. Yep. So we were all together. What happened to events like that? I know. That's so cool. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? It's just, yep. yeah. So I was lucky to experience that. Yeah. Um, so they just organised everything, buses to get us everywhere around and um, when we got to the racetrack, all the containers are there um, ready f- for us to unpack and put in our little garages to, to get ready. So, yeah, we didn't really have to do anything. We just had to... Turn up and race. Yeah, get out on a plane, go over there, do some sightseeing, have some yeah. fun and race. Yeah. This time between 93 and 95, you must have been having the best time. I know. <laughs> like seriously, like that. winning a championship, getting to race in America... 300 mile an hour club, yeah. winning a race in Japan. Yeah. Doesn't get much better. I know. I know. It was like, like I said, the 90s were yep. an amazing time for, for me. So what happens after that? You come back home, race here? Yeah, continue to race here. In your yeah. own car? In my own car. Yeah. Yep. How was it, how, how it like, uh, obviously going to America, the sa- same as what I said about winning the championship, you probably uh, ruffled a few feathers doing that as well, like getting the oppor- opportunity makes people envious sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure I did. You know, I'm sure I did and I try and stay out of all that. Politics are not good. Yep. Yeah, I, I always try and stay out of it's all good. that politics type yep. of thing. Um, obviously you do hear things and you get told things but, you know, I always from day one just tried to focus on what I was going to do. It's awesome, yeah. You know, if I listened to the amount of people that thought that I couldn't do it, you know, or thought that, you know, I was going to um, hurt someone in the other lane or I'm going to, you know, bring the name of drag racing down because of what I'm doing. You know, if I had listened to all those comments, like you would, and you took it on, it, it would, you would lose confidence. You wouldn't leave the house, would you? Yeah, you would like question, start questioning yourself. Yep. So I just, I just didn't, just didn't get involved. I just always just did what I wanted to do. And one thing that really, like at the very start, one thing that really got me through it all was Shirley Muldowney. Mm-hmm. So Shirley Muldowney was like the first woman in America to race uh, Funny Car, Top Fuel. And she had to do this. She had to break down a lot of barriers and, you know, what people thought that she should be doing and people that didn't think women should be in racing. And she went through a lot as well. And it just so happened that my very first race car was her car. Get out. Yep. Wow. Yeah, we went and bought this car and it was Shirley, Shirley's car and it had her initials engraved in the steering wheel as well. Mm. And so I left it there, turned them over, like it was like um, these sort of aluminium pieces that were polished. I turned them over and, and engraved my initials on the other side. Yeah. So it had both our initials on them. So it was her, it was her car. So... Um, 
that's that's kind of like what got me. I used to just think she did it, I can do it. Yeah. I'm not listening to all of this. And uh, that's what got me through. So, that, you know, that's what I've always done um, right through, yeah, right through my career. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I do put pressure on myself. Like as far I always want to do well, not make mistakes. And it probably does stem from that a little bit. Like I just I want to prove that like I can do it all yep. the time and I'm capable and, you know, I'm, you know, I, I can be successful of what I've chosen to do. So that's probably why I put a bit of pressure on myself at times. Uh, but, yeah, I just I just do what I want to do and what I love and, and, and yeah, just it's all just all worked out for me that way. Did and you, then I just don't worry about any what anyone else says. Did you like you, you like it or don't like it? Do you do you sort of realize that you're a pioneer here? Like what you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like I don't think about that. No. In like when I'm just sort of doing what I do and and still pursuing what I love to do. But you know, people do bring it up and talk to me about it and then you do sort of think back, wow, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, and, you know, I have, obviously I have done a lot for women as well mm. that I didn't realise that I was doing back then because I was just doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, but, yeah, looking back at that, yeah, you are sort of, you know, part of the, um, and my dad as well, you know, like sure. just the name sort of, you know, we've had a lot to do with racing and we've, you know, my dad's obviously been been there with like building cars and all the safety you know he's always built good cars and he's sort of made his place in racing and then I've sort of come along and carried it on in a different way um so yeah but it's not something that I do sort of sit and think about but it's good to it's good to sort of think about that and know that I have done something yeah yeah I guess it's one of those things like if you just live in your life doing it you're just doing what you want to do anyway. Yeah. You know, but yeah. uh, if there's a there's an end effect to it, even better. Yes. You know? Yes. And same what you're saying about your dad and that. There's a, there's only really a couple of drag racing family. There's like really like it's a pretty small network. Yep. And the family names that have listed there for years, there's only a few in there. Mm, you know. Yeah. Over generations, so pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Tell me about racing at Eastern Creek. What was that like? Oh, I loved racing at Eastern Creek. Cool drag yeah, 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 yeah. I loved that track. Um, Obviously, yeah. pre um, what's it now Sydney Sydney Dragway, West Sydney International Dragway. Was it? It was um, yeah, it was WSID, but I think it's changed now. It's changed so back to Sydney Dragway. Sydney Dragway, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Eastern Creek, obviously, <clears throat> before that on the main straight. Was that mm. good? It was awesome. Big crowds. You had like all the crowds down one side in the grandstand. Yeah. Then you had all the pits. And it's all the, 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 yeah, the, mm. um, the balcony and the corporate sort of boxes on this side. So you kind of had the track lined, um, the, the track went up, yep. um, at the end. So it was like, you know, really obviously easy to see everything yep. and really easy to stop. Um, it was a great track. Like I, everything about it was, was, was fantastic. That's where I got my license at Eastern Creek. Oh, was That's it? where I actually passed my final yeah, right. Licence pass, yeah, at Eastern Creek and, uh, yeah, so it's definitely I've got a real soft spot for that track. It was and, like rock and roll, oh, that place, though. Like it was Yeah. It was happening so yeah, much. Yeah, it eh? was. Yeah. Yeah, great track. So you got your licence there. So what was that, like an Andro? Did they do like a licence day or something at the time? No, no, we just – back then you could do it uh, at events. 
So you could come out and say, you know, can we come out in like what time can we come out and do a, a license pass? Yep. You know, they they might have chosen like the last run, like a run after Top Fuel ran. So we might be at the back of the run and then yep. we'd come out after Top Fuel and do a license run. They don't do that now. You can't do it at an event now, but back then you could. Okay. Yeah. What was it like racing a jet car? Or, sorry, driving a jet car. What's that like? That was different. Um, what that, about staging it? That must be, I reckon that must be pretty awkward, yeah? Yeah, it was really, really different and um, the complete opposite as far as like, you know, what you did in the car as to top fuel car. Um, like in the top fuel car was a handbrake, jet car was a foot brake. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jet car had a hand throttle. Obviously the top fuel car has a normal foot throttle. So it was like opposite to everything. Yep. So that sort of was a little bit hard to switch because I actually went from top fuel car to jet car, back to top fuel to jet, like yep. a couple of times in the year that I was racing. So, yeah, I had to reset all the time before I got in. And sometimes I got in the jet car and drove it like a top fuel car. Like I'd take off from the start line, let go of the throttle and grab the steering wheel. But I'm, you got to <laughs> hold the throttle on a jet car. So I made a few little errors because just trying to like do the both. Uh, but that was um, that was yeah pretty awesome to learn the jet cars. It's sort of a lot involved, especially on the start line. Yeah. Uh, just with you know obviously the afterburner and the throttle and letting go of the brake. Like you got to sort of do three things all at one time. So and I was kind of doing like instead of all together, I was like doing everything like a bit of a second apart. So yep. like I would creep through the. The, the start line and then take off, like when the afterburner lit. Um, but anyway, I was you know, I was only sort of only just learning. It was my first time. I got my license for the, the jet car like the first time I was got in it. Yep. So basically Darren DeFilippo went through everything, told me how to drive it, went through all the controls, the procedure. We went out to Calder. We had an Andrew official there. And we just started going through the license processing, the same as a top fuel car, like a, a launch and a half track. Um, got my license the same night that I actually was the first time in it. Damn. Yeah. So, um, so that made me the third, the third um, female to have a jet car license in Australia. And um, so that was a that was a good achievement. Um, I was pretty proud that night to be able to do that. Uh, so, yeah, it was. It's. It's on the on the start line too. You it's hard to hold it because you you got the jet engine at full power. Yeah. Um, so you're basically holding this full power, you know, this jet engine on full power with the with the brake, trying to hold it while you're staging. Well, this thing's trying to push forward. And yeah, and it just yeah. like it's actually slides on the on the track. Yeah. Just slides. So you kind of feeling. It, yeah, yeah. A couple of times I held it. A couple of times I didn't. You know, it slid through. But so you. Yeah, you kind of like just break the beams before the lights go. So that's kind of a bit of, you know, Darren did warn me that that could happen when I went out there. Um, But, yeah, I sort of would have been good to have a little bit more, you know, time in in the car and a bit more driving. But, you know, Darren just decided to sit out for a little little bit with the jet cars. So never know, might come up again one day. Awesome. What's it it cost to do a a run in a top fueler? Maybe not financially. But what, what's a, what's, how, how, how much goes into it? Oh, well, each run, each time you take it, the top fuel car down the track, yep. you basically have to have it fresh, you know, like every, every time, every time. 
So um, we every time we come back from a run, everything comes apart. Yeah. Like motor, um, you know, panels, check the car, like everything, everything gets checked, every like from front to back. So it's a fresh car every time you take it down. It's crazy. So it's a, like, sport, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of work. And that's and that's why the the highs and the lows so much. You know, there's so much goes into it. So eh? much goes into it. Yep. Yeah, like um, yeah, you normally have you know two hours between rounds, and that two hours is pretty much taken up. Like you, you need every you need every minute yep. of that two hours, and uh, then you sort of race rush back out. You do your run again, come back, everything comes apart again. So you know, the, so if you know if you're doing four runs in one day, you're doing that four times a day. It's yep. it's a lot of work. So four motor rebuilds, mm. obviously, um, probably NDA test, non-destructive testing for the chassis. I'm guessing that's what they do. So much. Mm. Mm. What obviously you've had five kids. Yes. When did you st- when did you stop racing? When what year was that? Because you obviously had a hiatus for a little bit. Yeah. So I have <clears throat> family. Was after. Just trying to think. It's, <laughs> I had my three kids yep. while I was racing. Okay. And so just, you know, basically time off, then straight back again yep. um, after I'd had each one of them. Yeah. And was after I had the third one, that's when I decided I, w- I needed to take a break and just sort of focus on the family for a while instead of trying to juggle everything. Was it hard to try and juggle at that time? It was because, you know, it was the racing, the kids... Uh, my dad's business, which I worked at, yep. uh, we were starting our own business as well. Um, so there was a lot going on just in life in general. Yeah. So, yeah, I just sort of felt like I needed to take a bit of a break. And um, like when I, just, when I did sell the race car, like I was, you know, I was always like I was upset about it. Like I didn't. I wanted to be racing, but I just felt like I was taking on way too much. Yeah. Just needed to have a have a break with the family. Um, yeah, decided to sort of come back and buy another car and go back to racing. I can't – obviously I'm like – I'd have to sit down and work out all the timeline, you know, of when this so happened. So much happens. Yep. So much, so much has happened. Yep. And, and uh, so then uh, I came back and I raced for a couple of years – Obviously, chasing sponsorship, you know, had a lot of like one-offs here and there and, and it was hard to get consistent and sort of get sort of focused with just not a one consistent sponsor. Yep. Um, then had, had another child, which was my fourth. Uh, had a few years off with him. Had my fifth. Yep. And it was when I had my fifth that I decided, okay, that's enough kids. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to go back racing. Like I just sort of decided when he was one, Mm -hmm. um, I felt like, you know, I just hadn't, it was something I loved and I'd been away from it for way way too long. Yeah. So that was when I just sort of, yes, just started going through, talk to dad, guess what, I want to go racing again, you know, sort of break the news to a few people. And, um, yeah, so I went and bought another race car and trailer, basically set everything up and that sort of, you know, might have been what I've been doing ever since uh, for the last sort of four or five years is just sort of working forward, m- moving forward and, 
you know, always searching for sponsors. Golf Western come on board and has helped us out a lot yeah. uh, with a lot of my a lot of my races and been sort of working alongside them, doing a lot of work for them. So it's been really good. A lot of, a lot of doors still opening. That's good. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Is it harder? Well, I think things are harder generally for just for sponsors in anything now compared to the nineties. But it, is it is it still doors getting opened and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. It's a lot harder. It's yep. it's a it's it's very different to yep. the nineties now. Uh, but I also put I also put in the category of doors opening of just like life opportunities and well, as Townsville well. the other week. Like Townsville the other week, yeah. yeah, definitely. And like going to the Winter Nationals, even though I wasn't racing, but I had the car there. And also, you know, different people coming into my life and yeah. just sort of different situations that you wouldn't normally be in if you weren't doing something with the race car. Mm. So, yeah, not, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, doors opening um, to me means like a, a range of things yep. um, because like – from experience, like I just know like how many great special people come into your life just through racing and the things that you do. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's sort of a big door opening was obviously getting invited to go um, and team up with Peter Zibaris at Premier. Yep. Uh, so, you know, that's that's been amazing for me. Like that's just been a really, really like – I have to pinch myself sometimes still. Like I just can't believe that, you know, he called me up and asked me to come and to join him and sort of try and get the two cars out and uh, sort of, you know, have his team help me and guide me along with, with um, my car. It's, it's yeah, I mean, they're, they're the number one in Australia. He's Australian, you know, top fuel champion. Yep. Um, they're the fastest car outside of America. And um, and I'm sort of teamed up with them, so yeah, it's it's pretty good time. It's a it's a pretty yeah good door to open, definitely. definitely. Um, but already, you know, I've just met some great people. You know, I'm lear- still learning, still learning. Like I'm over there learning every day um, about my own car and and just sort of working towards um, getting my car on the racetrack. And uh, yeah, so I'm sort of. It's been a great experience already and we haven't even got to the track yet. It's cool. Yeah. And it's so cool to see, obviously, keep up with what you're doing and stuff and being in the Townsville the other week, performing up there. Yeah. um, It's exciting. Yeah. Townsville was really good. Did you enjoy that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really good. Sort of, you know, got to go away with the team. Yep. Um, Wasn't a race, so, you know, we had a little bit of time to sort of wasn't as intense and full on. Um, And then to see you know, the people's reaction to the top fuel car on the main straight of the supercar track. And uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, that was a lot of people that hadn't seen a top fuel car before. It was, it's great introducing new people. That's true. They probably, if you live up there, there's nowhere, nowhere up there that you'd have have to come down here. And a lot of of the people were there watching the supercars, but but they stayed back on the Saturday night to watch the drag racing demonstration. Yeah, so it was um, a lot of fun. And to go out onto just a road, you know, and just basically we did a, you know, full main straight um, burnout. Yep. Yeah, it was. How good. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> it was pretty cool, yeah. What have been some of the opportunities? Like over the years you would have had some pretty cool things, like obviously travelling the world to race cars is pretty good. But have you had some different opportunities to do some fun things? Oh, geez, it's been so many of them. Yeah. Um, 
you know, obviously just, you know, different events that I, go, you know, go to and, talk, you know, talks that I do on, you know, International Women's Day, you know, I've been yep. invited to do some talks on those particular days. Uh, I was nominated one year for um, Australian of the Year. So, you know, just that process and I don't know, it's, 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 it's hard to sort of pinpoint some that stand out because there's just been so many opportunities of, you know, just photo shoots with different people, um, being, you know, involved with different races at events and, um, yeah, I can't, like, I actually just can't pinpoint, like, any particular ones, yep. but it's it's just the whole, you know, the whole lifestyle really of just, um, just always something going on to do, you know, to meeting people and... Yep. Uh, you just love it, hey? Showcasing drag racing, you know, to, yep. to, to uh, like we've done a f- couple of talks on the AFL, like grand final breakfast. You know, I've gone and talked about the race car at a, at a few of those in Melbourne. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's just sort of, it's just always really good to sort of be around people that don't really follow it. But then once they actually, you talk about it and hear how, you know, 10,000 horsepower, 300 mile an hour in three and a half seconds, you know, and yeah. it's um, people people are pretty blown away by it. Uh, so yeah, it's just uh, it's just everything, just everything. Well, I got my first. It's my first top fuel start line experience at the Winter Nationals. Oh yes, so I've been in the start line a few times. Yeah, and like I am a motorsport fan to the core. I got caught on the Willowbank security cameras running away. Oh, did you run away? Oh, I, <laughs> I shit. <laughs> it was so. Um, I've done um, door slammers, yeah. um, funny car, everything. And um, obviously Gasoline Alley had the corporate box there and we yeah. were out there. And, um, yeah, I, I got messages in my inbox of uh, senior running away. <laughs> it, it is, wow, it's scary. It, 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 really, it really punches you in the chest, doesn't yeah. it? Like you can't breathe for a no. second. No. And then if it, it's that as well as the, the nitro that, you know, in your eyes Every and your nose sense. and then the noise that, you yep. know, like you have to, obviously you can't listen to it uh, without either earplugs or something, yep. ear protection. Um, but, yeah, it's a whole lot, isn't it? Every, every sense is, is alive. And, yes. uh, yeah, I, I was like, it just, as I say, I've done all of them apart from the top feeler and that just... That lit me up. That was the day I was with you, and I was just wow. Yeah, uh, you know, I've seen them racing, but not that close. It's amazing the power that they just like yeah. that come that they that comes out like the input of power that yeah. comes out. Like there's nothing like it when you're standing there, and they're already gone, and you're still like experiencing it. Yeah, so. I was experienced. I was I was <laughs> traumatized. <laughs> so uh, it was good though. It was it was one of the best experiences yeah. you could ever have. Um, so it's a ten thousand horsepower now. Yes, that's yeah. about where we're at. Yep, that's a lot. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's an awful lot. Um, I was going to say. So next year you'll be racing in. Is it called Top Fuel Australia? That's the plan. Yes, yes. It's, that's that's right. exciting. Yeah, yeah. We're just um, working out finer details at the moment. Um, yep. We're still um, Gulf West and Oil are on board with us to to sponsor a few races. Yep. And. Um, we're obviously still searching for other sponsors to help us out. You know, hopefully we can sort of get some more people involved and, and on board with us so we can do the whole season. Yep. 
Uh, so, yeah, that's our plan. We're sort of working towards that now and, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be at the track as many times as we possibly can next season. Awesome. I've got to ask you one thing. You said about photo shoots. How did the calendar come about? Um, was that, that, that was yours? Yeah, your yep, that yeah. was a, just an idea between myself and a friend of mine who owned an advertising agency. Yep. And, yeah, we just thought, hey, why don't we just get some girls together? Like yep. the girl, bit of, you know, promotion for them. They can sell the calendar. Yep. Um, have a bit of fun. So, yeah, we just sort of sat down and worked out, you know, who to put in the calendar and, yep. uh, yeah, so many people that were interested and wanted to be involved and that's how it came about. That went that went really well, honey, that campaign. Yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't... Um, we didn't really push it in stores or shops or yep. anything like that. What we did is we did the calendar. We did our own promotion of the calendar yep. within Motorsport. Okay. And then all the girls got, you know, their copies and they sold it at their at their tracks or their events that right. they were going to so they could all make some money yep. themselves. So, you know, if they wanted to really sort of push it, they could sell as many calendars as, as they wanted. Yeah. And make some money for themselves. So that's sort of how we did that. Helps to fund, like, things like that helps to fund your own motorsport too. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. A, it's a good way of to, a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah. It just, you know, adds to it and you can get a few extra things, you know. If you, if um, you know, obviously it's not going to, with me, it doesn't sort of support my sort of level of racing as far no. as an event. But, you know, it, it, it all helps and, you know, every single dollar helps yep. with with the motorsport and uh, what you've got to put into it. Definitely. Yeah. Well, your show number 50, um, I'm stoked that you, you obviously came in and you're back in a race car. Mm. I've been following your career like f for a long, long time. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me in. Thank you. That's all we have time for on today's show. Thank you to Rochelle for taking the time out to come and educate us about drag racing. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe on our channel. The other places you can find us are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, uh, give us a rating and a review, tell your friends and uh, be safe everyone and enjoy your week.